This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. All right, this morning we are in week two of our message series that we've called Don't Settle, and we're exploring uh, how Jesus comes to bring life to the full. And we face this temptation to settle for life to the halfway. And so we started last week. If you were here last week, you're going to recognize this. We'll get to it here in just a moment. Um, But this morning, what we're going to be talking about is how Jesus comes to bring complete and total freedom to us, right? He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And because he brings total freedom to us, we don't want to settle for a halfway experience of the life that Jesus brings. Specifically, when it comes to our sin, what we're we're going to talk about this morning is we do not want to settle for a life of sin management when Jesus has come to eradicate sin completely from our hearts. There are a couple books that I've read over the the past couple months that um, have really helped in the the development of this morning's message, and and I want to recommend them to you, especially if you struggle in those areas of, of sin management versus the complete freedom Jesus brings. The first one is called Kill the Spider, written by a guy named Carlos Whitaker. Now, both of these are just very quick, easy reads. Um, the second one is a book called Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio. It's actually the book that Pastor Greg led our men through during Lent on Wednesday nights. And in both of these books, they get us to the point of trying to understand that the outward behaviors that we're appalled by, the things that we do, aren't the greatest problem we face. But the greatest problem is the belief that motivates that behavior. Right? Or to put it in the language of the gospel, it's not the, the external signs of our sin that are our greatest concern, but it's the sin that resides in our heart that flows out into all these actions. So in, in his book, Kill the Spider, Carlos Whitaker tells the story of his father, who was a, a pastor in Panama. And he was preaching a series of services at a church. And at the end of the first night's service, a lady walked down the, the center aisle and said, Pastor, will you pray for me? He said, yes, of course. What what can we pray for? And she said, will you please pray that God will clear the cobwebs out of my life? He said, okay. So he begins to pray. Lord, we we know that you love her, that you have a plan for her. You see uh, that she has cobwebs. You didn't know what they were in her heart that are causing her distress. Will you please clear them out? The next night they have services again. He preaches at the end of the service. The same lady walks down the center aisle to him. She says, Pastor, will you please pray again that God will kill, will, will clear out all of the cobwebs that are in my life? And he reminded her, he said, we prayed that prayer yesterday, and that prayer from yesterday is still effective. God has heard it. He is at work. She said, yes, but please, she, she was just desperate. Please pray that God will clear the cobwebs. And so he prayed again. Okay, Lord, please clear the cobwebs from this dear lady's life. Just clean them out completely. Bring freedom to her heart, freedom to her life. Third night of the services, he prays, and and at the end, when it's concluding, he sees the same lady walking down the center aisle and knows very well what she's going to say. So she comes down. She says, Pastor, will you please pray that God will clear the cobwebs? And he he cut her off. He said, ma'am, we are not praying for the cobwebs anymore, but tonight we're praying that God will kill the spider that is producing the cobwebs in your life. And he's pushing her towards this point that there is always a thing underneath the thing, right? And, and, and this idea doesn't originate with authors in the last few years, but it actually traces its way all the way back to Jesus in Mark chapter 7, where Jesus teaches us that our outward behaviors are always the result of what we believe on the inside. 
So Jesus lives in a time, and in Mark chapter 7, the, the context of this passage is he is talking to some religious leaders of his day. And the religious leaders of his day, they were the ultimate cobweb clearers. They had all kinds of rules. They had the, the 600-some rules of the Old Testament. And then for each of those rules, they had expounded on them to try to make sure that in, in following that rule, there was no opportunity for them to mess it up. And so their whole life, their whole spiritual experience, their whole idea of God centered around, this is what we can do, this is what we don't do, these are who the people we can talk to, the people we can't talk to, this is the food we can eat, the food we can't eat, how close we can get to people who eat the food we can't eat, and all of these sort just went on and on and on and on and on. And so in Mark chapter 7, these religious leaders are getting after Jesus a little bit, because his disciples are not following all of their extra rules that they have put in place. So Jesus begins to speak to the religious leaders very clearly, and he tells them, you, you guys have it all wrong. The problem is not the things that you're putting into your body that make you unclean. The problem is that you are unclean on the inside, and it's flowing to the outside. So the, the disciples are there, they hear this interaction, and then later, where we're picking up the story, they have moved away from that setting, and they're now in private with Jesus. And they come to Jesus, and they ask him, what did you mean? Right now, now if you, if you have time later today, read Mark chapter 7, because what Jesus meant was very clear. He meant it's not the things outside that make you unclean, it's what's inside of you. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they say, well, what did you mean it's not the things on the outside of us that make us unclean? And, and Jesus' response, I, I just love it. He starts in Mark chapter 7, verse 18. He says, are you so dull, he asked. Right? I mean, because again, you go back and read, you'll see it's, it's very clear. Now, we do the same thing with Jesus all of the time. Right? The scriptures are very clear to us. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And we come together in our little Christian circles and we think, now what did Jesus mean when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Did he mean in this certain situation? Did he mean in this context? This is what the disciples are doing. They're looking for a way to wiggle out of what Jesus has said. And Jesus confronts them on it the same way he confronts us. When Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, you know what he means? He means you should love your enemies and you should pray for those who persecute you. It's, it's, it's just straightforward, right? When Jesus says you should give, you know what he means? You should give, right? When he says you should be the husband of one wife, you know what he means? You should have one wife. It's pretty straightforward. But we try to kind of wiggle around it. And so Jesus confronts me, says, are you so dull? To which the disciples and us often should answer with a resounding yes. Yes, we are. We are thick-headed. We are dull. We are great at looking for ways to weasel out of what you've clearly revealed to us. Yes, Jesus, we're dull. And his response is not, you are dull. I'm done with you. But his response is to explain it again to them. So he says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enter, enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly... All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. As I said, the, the religious leaders were cobweb clearers. And so their response to this last list that Jesus gives, 
Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, all of these things. Their response was, we are going to create a system of rules and behaviors that build such a tall fortress around us that these things cannot get in. And so they were frenetic in their activity trying to please God. I mean, that, that picture of a cobweb is a, a beautiful picture for us of what we look like when we try to get these things out of our heart on our own. And ha- have you ever watched someone else walk through a, a spider web from across the room? It is, it's one of the most joyful things in the world, right? Because it's just in, like if, if we had, ha- I wish there was a way we could have set up a camera this morning as you walked in. Not if you're a guest, because that would have been a bad welcome to church, like face full of spider web. But, but you, you know that feeling, as soon as it hits you, and especially if it's on your face, it is just immediate. You can't wipe it off fast enough. And then what, all day long, right? You've got these ticks because you, you're just certain that it is still on you somewhere and you're going to do whatever you can to get it off. This is the, the religious leader's approach to faith of we just have to, constant motion, constant movement, constant paranoia that I'm not doing enough, I'm not good enough, so I've got to build it out wider and I've got to build it farther and I've got to remove more people from my life. What Jesus is telling them though is all you're doing is building walls around a broken heart. And until you deal with the stuff that's on the inside, you're just exhausting yourself in this pursuit of religious perfection that you're never going to achieve. So, so listen to what Jesus tells us. Right there at the end, it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, this is, this is what we talked about last week, that the gospel works from the inside out, right? It's not an issue of me just fixing my behavior. But what Jesus comes to offer to us is a way of life where he pours his grace out into us every day. Right? And so the solution is not, say these white ping pong balls represent those things, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander. The solution is not for me to say, okay, I'm going to start removing these on my own. But like we talked about last week, what we actually do is we come and we surrender to Jesus and he begins to pour his grace into us. And as he pours his grace into our lives, as we pray, as we read the scriptures, as we engage in community, he begins to push up and he begins to push out everything in us that is against his new life that he's offered. Now, if these white ones represent our wrong behaviors, then what I want you to think about today is these orange ones represent the thing under the thing. Right? Every way that we act out. For every one of these things, greed, malice, deceit, it's not just an action or an attitude that we're trying to remove from our life, but there is something underneath it that is motivating that behavior. It's either a belief about God, about ourselves, about the way the world works, or it's a a sin that we have allowed to take root. And until we get down here, we're never going to solve all of these problems. In his book, Goliath Must Fall, Louis Giglio writes that until you are dealing with the root, you will never change the fruit. It's just the the very simple idea that the problem isn't just that you lost your temper. Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. It's not the best, but, but the underlying problem is the anger or the rage that has taken root in your heart. The problem isn't just that you can't stop spending money. 
The problem is that you have this deep-seated insecurity, and you're trying to solve it by buying things you don't need to impress people who don't care, and you are spending yourself into debt trying to solve the insecurity that's taken root in your heart. The problem isn't just that you looked at porn again. The problem is that you have some deep-rooted issues with loneliness, with rejection, with laziness, and that's just the outpouring of those things that are in your heart. And so what Jesus tells us in Matthew or in Mark chapter 7 is that evil comes from the inside. And if evil comes from the inside, then it means that that all of our attempts at sin management will only work for a season. You might be able to take care of a few of these, but until you take care of the root, until you let Jesus come and not just sweep away the cobwebs, but actually kill that spider that's underneath it, you're going to keep having issues with it. And so, so how, do we, how do we do that? Right? That's our, our natural question is, okay, if I, if I don't just want to settle for a life of God clearing the cobwebs and, and me trying to manage my own sin, how do I let Jesus eradicate it? How do I live a life where he actually kills the spider? Well, the, the first part of that is we have to begin praying that he will reveal what the thing under the thing is in our lives. Right? That, that push your prayers past, God, help me stop doing this. And begin to pray, God, show me why I keep doing this. Right? It's not just, God, help me today to not lose my temper. But God, show me what it is inside of me that causes me to be so quick to get angry. And as you begin to pray those prayers, God is going to reveal these things to you. Right? So, so in your prayers, change the way you pray. Not just help me manage my behavior, but Holy Spirit, come and change my heart. So, so God kills the spider. He shows us what it is through our prayers. He shows us what it is through the scriptures. And as you begin to read your Bible, you read the stories of scripture, what you'll find is that you are not the first person to deal with the issues that you're dealing with. That others before you have dealt with anger. They've dealt with rage. They've dealt with jealousy and betrayal. They have hurt. They've made promises to God and turned their back on him. They have tried on their own power and failed. And as you read the stories of scripture, The Holy Spirit will use those to shine a light into your heart and to show you the thing that is being described here is the thing that lives inside of you. So if we want God to kill the spider, we've got to pray, we've got to read the scriptures. And then the the third thing that's very helpful in the process is we want to live in community with each other. Now, Now again, this is important because one of the lies that the enemy is going to tell you is that as you pray and you read the scripture and God begins to show you the, the spider, he shows you the thing under the thing, the enemy's going to tell you, you're the only one who has that. Right? You're, you're the only woman who deals with that. You're the only man who deals with that. You're the only teenager who's had this struggle. You're the only one. And so because you're the only one, there's no hope for you. Because everyone around church, they don't deal with this stuff. You are just that much more messed up than everyone else's. And we begin to hear these lies. And and if we're not rooted in a community that's centered around the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures, we'll believe those lies. But when you have authentic, honest friendships, you begin to hear the stories of others, what you discover is, no, I'm not alone. No, others have struggled as I struggle. And, and And what you'll really discover is they're not all still stuck here. For some of them, the Spirit has worked deeply and He has brought total freedom. And their encouragement to you is, I was where you are, but I'm not there anymore. 
God has led me out of that death and into this path of new life. So we want to plan ourselves in a life-giving community centered around the scriptures, emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because as we do that, God is going to show us the thing under the thing. This, This process of Jesus revealing to us what is inside of us that defiles us is not it's not intended to be a long, drawn-out process. For, for many of you already, if, if we had time to go around the room or if you did it in your home groups tonight and said, hey, what's the, what's the spider in your life? Some of you immediately, you could say it. It's this, it's that, it's this moment, it's that experience, it's this old relationship, it's this false belief about myself, it's this false belief about God. You would know it because you've been dealing with it for decades. For others, maybe you have no idea what it is. And, and so my encouragement to you is, Begin to pray, begin to read the scriptures, begin to plant yourself in a community, begin to talk with others. And as you do, God will reveal that spider to you. As you shine the light of the gospel into your heart, there is nothing that will not be made known. And for some of us, that's the scary part. Because if we're honest, we maybe don't actually want to know the thing under the thing. Because it's easier just to try to deal with my behavior. It's easier just to try to manage myself. If I'm going to go on this deep dive into my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, he might show me some stuff that is kind of terrifying. In the the process of before God kills the spider in us, he reveals the spider to us. And that can be a horrifying experience. I have a friend that uh, a couple years ago, she was standing in her kitchen with her her four-year-old little boy. And out from under the refrigerator ran this hairy little spider. And so she thankfully had shoes on at the time, and she stomped on it. But as she stomped on it, she realized it was not a hairy little spider. It was a mama spider with hundreds of baby spiders on its back. So she steps on it, the babies just go everywhere, all across the white tile floor. Any of you ever had that experience? I I was swimming in a pool once, and a spider walked along the side, I was in the pool and I grabbed a flip-flop and I smacked it and the babies like came in. I looked like Michael Phelps diving away from that wall. Like I couldn't get away fast enough. So, so my friend, she smashes the spider. The spider is dead. The babies are not. And they are spreading everywhere. And her little four-year-old boy, he goes over, he climbs up the bar stool, he climbs up on the counter, he's weeping, he's in tears, and, and he shouts at the top of his lungs, now we have to move! And most of us would think, yeah, you do, or burn the house down. Like you got two choices in that moment, but it's, it's terrifying. And when the spirit shines his light into our heart and we begin to see what is inside of us, we might not necessarily just decide, oh, I'm going to burn the house down and move away. But our terror can cause us to run away in other ways. So that the spirit shines his light into your heart and says, hey, your problem, the spider is jealousy. And instead of staying in that space and saying, okay, God, can you deal with this? Can you show me how you have victory over it? Our response is, okay, my problem is jealousy. Well, I've got this one friend whose life is always a little bit better than mine. So I'm just going to, I'm going to cut them out and not hang out with, hang out with them anymore. I didn't, but that's not killing the spider. That's just looking the other way. All right, my, my spider, God shows it to me. It is anger. Well, okay, but, but instead of dealing with it, instead of letting him kill it, I just say, well, I'm going to cut myself out of volatile situations. I'm going to remove people who are stressful from my life. I'm going to be a hermit, basically. 
Right? Or, or you come over here and God shows you your, your spider that's, that's fueling all these behaviors is insecurity. So your response is, well, okay, then I'll, I'll just move over here. I'll quit that job that's kind of high risk, high reward, and I'll go to another one that's a little more safe, has, has a less of an opportunity to fail, and then I'll be fine. Or, or maybe it's far more serious. Maybe you're over here and God shows you, hey, that spider in your life, that's, that's the way you were abused as a kid. That's, that's why you're having all these relationship problems. Because you never dealt with that. And, and our response, instead of saying, okay, Lord, this is going to be painful, but I believe you're going to lead me through it, our response is just, uh, I'll just, I'll just keep it to myself. It, and it harms your marriage, and it harms your relationship with your kids, and it harms your relationship with others, because we're, we're terrified of the spider. And we're, we're scared to confront it for different reasons. Some of us were scared because we, we really don't know that Jesus can deal with it. Like, he's dealt with some of this, but we don't know if he's actually strong enough to deal with the stuff that's under it. Some of us, we, we don't want to get down here because if we're really, really honest, we kind of enjoy it, right? As much as we talk about how we hate this part of our sin, there, there's another part of us that, that we, kind of, we kind of enjoy the outworking of it. And for others, you, maybe you're afraid to give it up because it's been part of who you are for so long that you don't know who you're going to be once Jesus takes that away. Like, once I'm no longer the victim of what happened to me, who am I now? Once I no longer carry this giant chip on my shoulder all through life that's fueled so much of both the, the good and the bad, who am I going to be without that? And so we react like that little four-year-old boy. I have to move. I can't stay here. I can't be in this space where God is dealing with me this deeply. And we just decide I'm going to settle for this halfway experience of freedom in Christ. Where I know it's there. I'm going to do my best to manage the behaviors. But I'm not willing to open my heart and let him do this deep, gut-wrenching work that he really needs to do. See, when things get real, a lot of us just run away from it. So, so we're, we're praying, right? We're reading the scriptures. We're involved in community. And God is revealing this spider to us. And then in that moment, we have that choice of either I'm going to walk away from it or I'm going to walk on this path of freedom into the fullness of new life that Jesus offers to us. Right? And, and so there might be some conversations that occur. There might be some books that are read, all sorts of things that might happen to figure out the thing under the thing. But once we know what it is, there comes a point where you just have to remember the spider is dead and now I need to walk on the path of new life. Last week I was talking to a, an addiction counselor about some of these ideas and she was telling me that in, in her experience with many of her clients, they have no problem acknowledging uh, their wrong behaviors. That if you ask them when they come in, hey, can you write down all the things you did wrong? No problem at all, they can write them down. Many of them have no problem getting to the thing under the thing. They can point you to the, the spiders that, that cause these addictive behaviors. They can tell you about uh, problems in their family. They can tell you about cycles of addictions that go back for generations. They can tell you about uh, traumatic events that have fueled their desire to self-medicate with alcohol or with drugs or with relationships or other things. They can, they can identify all of this. She said the, the problem with many of them, though, is they get to this point of revelation and then they take no action. 
You see, for many of us, the reason we have not experienced the fullness of freedom, the the death of those spiders in our lives, is not for a lack of information, it's for a lack of transformation. Jesus has come and he showed you, I'm going to defeat this, I'm going to defeat that, it's already dead, now follow me on the path of new life. So we've prayed and we've read the scriptures, we've talked in our community and God has revealed what is in there, and now what he's saying is, okay, it's time to start living this new life that I'm calling you to. And that's, that's, that's the action point, right? That's the point where we're saying, God is pouring out his grace on me, but I'm not intended to be a passive recipient of that. I'm to be an active recipient. And as he says, this is new life. This is a way, walk in it. My job is actually to walk in it by the power of his spirit. It is not to stay in this same place always and forever, just determining that, well, this is just who I am. Paul writes to us about this in Romans chapter 6. He he describes uh, just this, paints a really beautiful picture of what it looks like to live in new life. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Pay attention to that last little line there. We too may live a new life. The, The life that Jesus calls us into is designed to be remarkably different from the life we knew before him. When his grace is poured into your heart, it is designed to push up and to push out not only the sinful behavior, but the underlying sin that's at the root of all of those behaviors. Paul, I I love that other phrase. We are those who have died to sin. This is is one of the, the definitions the scripture gives us of a follower of Jesus. Who is a follower of Jesus? A follower of Jesus is one who has died to sin. It means that sin is dead to you and sin is dead in you. And things that are dead no longer should have an appeal for us and should no longer be something that we hold on to. What is dead and gone is done away with and we turn and we walk in this new path of life. So it means Jesus has poured out his grace on you. He's revealed the thing under the thing. And now your new life means that 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 old anger, that old abuse, that old trauma, all of those things are now dead to you. They no longer have power over you. And as they are revealed to be dead, your job is to walk away from them. It's where the the gospel becomes practical, where the, the gospel in the air has to be lived out on the ground. This is what Jesus has done, and now this is how it's going to change your life, change your relationships, change your experience at work, change your experience of worship, change everything about you. We are those who are dead to sin, and we are those who are raised to new life. And so now we live in our new life. Now, I've, I've never met a person who's done this for real, but I've read some articles about it, and I think it's one of the weirdest things in the world. If, if you've ever done this, please don't tell me, because I don't want to think less of you. Um, but, you know, some people really love their pets. Any of you really love your pets? Everybody's afraid to say, oh, I don't. <laughs> for real, no, it's fine, it's fine. It's okay to love your pet, love your pets, right? 
I've read articles about people who love their pets so much that when the pet dies, it's such a traumatic experience for them that they take the pet to a taxidermist and have the pet stuffed and the pet stays in their house. Now, again, no judgment, just a little bit, not much if you've done this yourself. But can we all just admit that's a little weird, right? Like if you go over to your friend's house, like, hang on, I want you to meet Fluffy, my cat. And they walk over to the fireplace and they pick up a stuffed cat and bring it over to you. And like, you want to pet it? Your response is like, I need to leave, right? Like this, this is not, you are not a stable person right now. I, I need to go. Now, now you, you, let's go a little more extreme. Let's say you've got a buddy who had a, a dog that he just loved more than anything in the world. And he has this dog stuffed and it was, I don't know, a German shepherd. It's a big dog. And he, he still takes it to the dog park, right? He still takes it on runs with him because that's what they always like to do. So he's just running. And then your buddy starts to complain to you about, you know what, man, this, this dog's just really an inconvenience. I just really feel like it's really disrupting my relationships. You know, maybe he's a single guy like Pastor Cherokee, and he's saying like, hey, man, this, this dog, it's just, it's just keeping me from getting dates. You think? Right? I guess it, my teacher, she told me I can't bring it to class anymore. Really? Like, uh, we would all just have this experience of, yeah, your life will get better if you'll let the dog be dead and just move along. Right? Just move along. Now, We get that when it comes to pets, and yet we do the exact same thing when it comes to our sin. Jesus tells us, I have killed the spider. The thing under the thing is dead, gone, and done away with. It no longer has any power over you. The only power sin now has in your life as a follower of Christ is what you allow it to have. And our response is, it is dead, it's gone, it's done. But let me just go here and pick it up. Let me just carry it around a little bit. And then let me, let me start talking about, man, I, I just don't understand why I can't, my, my, you know, there's just, in my marriage, it's, it's not as close as it could be. It's because you're carrying around death, right? I, I just don't understand. My heart isn't as secure as I thought it would be when I follow Jesus. It's because you went back and you picked up something dead and you're carrying it around with you. I just don't have that, that fullness of life. It's because you're holding on to what is dead and gone and done away with. And Jesus is saying, not only have I defeated it, but now our privilege by the power of the Holy Spirit is to turn our back on that that was dead, the things that once were, to turn our face towards the life he is calling us into and to walk in that freedom every single day. So when we find ourselves in a position of, I've been battling the same old sin, the same old things for one year, for two years, for 15 years, for 25 years, for 40 years. The problem is not with the gospel. The problem is with our experience of the gospel. We have settled for a halfway experience of faith in Christ. Jesus tells us that the one who the Son sets free is free indeed. This is abundantly clear. If the sun sets you free, you will be free halfway. You'll be free partway. No, no, no. You will be free. Other translations say the one the sun sets free will be completely free. We'll be totally free. We'll be absolutely free. 
And that freedom means you have laid aside the dead things and you have walked in the new life that Jesus offers to you. And we're just trying to remind ourselves each week of this picture. It's not our job. I mean, as God reveals, we're going to take action. Right? As he shows us what these things are, we're going to establish some boundaries, some guidelines. We're going to surround ourselves with people who will hold us accountable. We're going to look into different resources. We're going to pray. We're going to do all these things. But ultimately, what we're relying on each day is the power of Jesus, his grace to be poured out in our hearts. And as he pours it out into you, your job is to let go of the thing under the thing. And it's to remember that his grace is abundant. His grace is inexhaustible. He's going to do away not only with the behaviors, but with everything under them. Nothing is going to remain. Absolute, this is the promise of Christ, that, that his death and resurrection is all about his victory over sin. And he's telling us, I was tempted in every way just as you are, yet he was without sin. He pays the full price of sin. He dies the death that we're supposed to die so that he can introduce us into the life that we were created to experience. And so now we live in this space where he has promised complete freedom from sin. Now, occasionally these are gonna come, they're gonna try to take root again, but he's gonna come and remove them, right? One day he will finally defeat them. One day it will be smashed and eradicated entirely. In the meantime, he, by the power of his spirit, will give you the ability to subdue it in your life, to put it aside and to move forward. Where you are is not where you have to be. The things you've always struggled with do not have to be the things you continue to struggle with. The story of your life today by the power of Christ, will not be the story of your life in three months, in three years, or in 30 years. Our experience of the gospel is transformational. It's not about making you feel better about the sins that are in your life. It's about the power of Jesus removing them from you completely. So my prayer for us this week is that we will let what is dead be dead that we will remember the old has gone and the new has come. There is a new life to live. There is a new way to walk. There is a new disposition of heart and mind that Jesus makes possible for us. And we make the choice every day by the power of his spirit to walk in that new life. We are no longer captive to the way things used to be. Jesus has brought perfect and final victory over our past, over our present, and over our future. And so now we are going to walk in it by faith. In the coming weeks, we're going to start exploring what that looks like in, in some specific areas. Next week, Pastor Rennie's going to speak and talk to us about what it looks like to not settle for a life of shame. That Jesus doesn't come just to forgive, but he comes to renew and to restore. That he doesn't come just to make you forget about your past, but he comes to remind you, in your darkest moments, I was there. And in your most broken state, I was at work. And when we begin to have that experience, shame fades away. And and it's replaced by this fullness of life and fullness of spirit. We're going to walk our way through some issues like this. But but for this morning, I just want to encourage you, don't settle for a life of sin management. Don't settle for being just a better version of yourself. But let the spirit of Christ be poured into your heart. 
pushing up and pushing out, not just the things on the surface, but those deepest sins, those deepest hurts, those most traumatic experiences. Let his healing run deep and let it be complete. We bow your heads. I want to pray for you. God, we thank you that you have a plan for each one of us. It's a plan of complete and total freedom. One in which we have surrendered every sin, every horrible experience, everything that has been done to us or that we have done to others, we surrender it all to you. You're able to forgive it all. You're able to heal it all. You're able to restore it all. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would come and speak to those who you're shining the light into their heart and they're they're seeing the spider. They're seeing the thing underneath the thing and it's bringing fear to their hearts. Lord, this morning, may they hear you declare your power and your victory over that sin, over that experience, over that memory, over that abuse, Lord. May they know that your love, your grace, your healing power run even deeper. Jesus, we ask that you would bring deep, deep healing. Forgive us for settling for an experience of your spirit that just brings modifications to our behavior. Lord, we ask for a a true, a full gospel experience of the transforming power of your new life in us. We want to be those who are dead to sin and who are raised to new life in Christ. So Jesus, will you do that today by the power of your spirit at work in each one of us? We ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.